0: Well, last week we started our study through 1 Corinthians and we noted that Paul wrote this letter to address 11 main problems that the Corinthian Christians were dealing with and really their biggest problem, or at least the one that Paul spends the most time dealing with, are divisions. He's going to spend four chapters focusing on the divisions that, uh, the Corinthian believers had, the issues that were causing divisions, and the solution that they need in order to address those divisions. And so, uh, Um, This morning, we're going to look at the first issue uh, that Paul deals with, the first thing that was bringing division there to the church in Corinth, and also the solution that he shares with us of how to deal with this particular issue. Now, division is a huge problem among Christians today, and so this issue and the issues that we'll continue to look at in the coming weeks are definitely things that I think are very applicable to us, because we struggle with these things. We, we do these things. There's divisions that come from these things uh, in the body of Christ today, and so uh, these are very important to understand, but even more importantly, to apply. Uh, just recognizing the issues exist, recognizing that they're problematic is only the first part, the more important part is to actually apply the solution that Paul gives us so that we can stop the division that's taking place. And I think another thing for us to note as we start this section on divisions is just recognizing Satan loves to divide. He loves to divide and conquer. He loves it when we are divisive with one another. He loves it when divisions are taking place because he's so much more uh, successful in his attacks. Uh, he loves to work through division. And so we got to recognize that this is something that he wants. It is definitely not so. Something that God wants. You know, in the spiritual battle, it's often true that united we stand, divided we fall, and we need to recognize that reality. So this morning, let's start with the first issue that the Corinthian Christians were dealing with and the solution that Paul gives to them and to us uh, of how to stop this division. So we left off in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says this, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, "...that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment." Notice here that Paul starts off saying, I plead with you. This Greek word translated plead means really to, to beg, to entreat, to beseech someone. So, So this is something he's desperate for. I'm begging you guys not to be divided. He recognizes how significant this problem is, and he desperately wants them to stop the divisions that are happening there in Corinth. Now this word translated divisions comes from the Greek word schisma, Uh, it's where we get our English word schism. Uh, The word means to tear, to rip, to divide, to break. This Greek word was most commonly used in the medical field, so if you were to tear a muscle, if you were to break a bone, uh, this is where the most common context of this word was used. You know, when my family and I lived in Georgia before coming out here, uh, I used to play beach volleyball once a week, and I was playing in different tournaments, and my final tournament, unfortunately, uh, the very first game, I go up and hit the ball, and I feel this pain in my shoulder, and I just thought, you know what, I didn't warm up enough, it'll be fine, and I just played the rest of the tournament, you know, I'm a man, I can tough this out, and as each game got longer and longer, the, you know, the pain kind of got worse and worse, and then the next day, my shoulder got a little bit swollen, and the motion of my shoulder wasn't full range and I'm thinking, oh, this is not good. About a week later, I had pretty much a frozen shoulder. It could barely move at all. I finally went to get an x-ray and they said, you know, you tore a muscle in your shoulder. Uh, and so, you know, that not only caused me a lot of pain having that tear in my shoulder, but it also caused me a bigger problem. My shoulder didn't function the way that was intended to anymore. I could no longer use my arm the way that I used to be able to do it. And so when you tear a muscle, when you break something, a bone, you know, not only does it hurt, which is problematic, but now that part of your body doesn't function the way that it was designed to function. And the same thing is true with the body of Christ. It's interesting that the church in the Bible is often referred to as a physical body. And just like when the physical body has something break or has something torn, you know, it causes pain, but it also now doesn't function the way that it was intended to function. So when there are divisions among believers in the body of Christ, you know, it hurts us, but it also causes us now to be in a place where we're not functioning the way that God wants us to, the way that God designs us to. And so Paul begs, he says, don't have divisions. Don't have anything that would tear you apart, that would divide you, that would break the relationship connections that you have with other believers in the body of Christ. Now, Paul's challenge isn't just focused on the negative of don't be divided. There's also a positive side to this challenge as well. And that's be joined together. He says, there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. You see, we shouldn't just be focused on, let's not divide, let's not divide, let's not divide. That's just part of it. Let's also focus on joining together. Because the reality is, within the body of Christ... We wish that there was no division, but there is. There's always going to be. Why? Because we're sinful. There's always going to be problems. There's always going to be divisive things that happen within relationships. And because of that, we can try all we want to have no divisions, but the reality is we will. And that's why we now have to join together. When we are divided, when there is an issue, when there is a problem, we have to actively act, uh, we have to actively, sorry, seek out to bring that relationship together, to join together. It's interesting this Greek word translated joined together means to mend what has been broken to repair. Once again, this is another medical word used in the medical field. You got a broken arm, you know, you want to mend it. You have a torn, you know, muscle, you want to see it mended back together. You want to see it repaired. Now, if you break your arm, you wouldn't just leave it broken and do nothing about it. Just walking around saying, well, I guess this is me for life. You know, I got a broken arm, you know, tough, that's it. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to try to mend it. I'm not going to try to repair it. It's just always going to be disconnected from the rest of the body. No, you would do everything you could to get that arm fixed so you could have the function of the arm back so it could work properly like it used to do. Now, we know that with our physical body, but I'm so saddened within the body of Christ that oftentimes there's division, but we treat it like, oh, well, that's it. I'm never going to have a relationship with that person again. I'm never going to try to repair that again. I'm just going to leave it broken Forever. We shouldn't be doing that. We should be seeking to join together the division that happens. That's the heart that the Lord has, a heart of love, because he is the one who shows forgiveness and mercy, and so should we when there are divisions that take place. So the challenge is twofold. First, don't divide. Let there be, be no divisions among you. And second, make sure that you join together the relationships that have been divided. Now Paul tells us to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So, so one of the main ways that we join together is to have this, the same mind, the same judgment with other believers. Now, I want you to understand what this does not mean. It doesn't mean that we all share the same mind or, or think, think the, the same thoughts. For those of you who are Star Trek fans, like Ken over here, uh, this is not like The Borg, if you ever watched it. I was a Star Trek fan as well, so, you know. The Borg was this group that would assimilate you and they would use this weird thing that you see there that they put on your head and, and it would cause everyone to be able to basically tap into the same thinking and, you know, they would use the same thoughts and everyone was just kind of, you know, just kind of one big brain, so to speak. And But that's not what we're talking about. We're saying of the same mind and Christians think, okay, we all have this big brain. We all have to think the same. And, you know, no, that's, that's not what it's referring to or talking about. Being of the same mind means that every believer needs to have the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, it says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." So having the mind of Christ is something that every believer should do. That's a challenge. Have the mind that Jesus had, a mind that is humble, a mind that is obedient to whatever the will of the Father is. You see, when you and I both have the mind of Christ, When we're both obedient to God when we both say, your will, not mine be done. Whatever you want me to do, I'll follow it. It brings us together. It joins us together because we're now focused on the same thing. Not me, but God. Not what I want, but what he wants. His kingdom come. His will be done. There's a joining together when we have the mind of Christ and seek to glorify the Lord and serve him together and when that happens we also see that he talks about judgment in the same you know uh, speech that it comes together that if we have Jesus and the mind of Christ as our focus our judgment our words all these things start to come together because of that mindset it impacts these things so Paul starts this section he wants to make something very clear what we should do with regard to divisions that are taking place and he begs us Don't have divisions, but when you do, make sure you join yourself back together. Deal with them so that you can have the same mind and the same judgment. And I think this is very much for us today because we hopefully don't want to have divisions among us, but we recognize we do. We recognize we need to deal with them. We recognize this importance of joining together. And so Paul starts with more of a general you know, exhortation, and now that he's given us this general exhortation, he's going to get specific, specific into the issues that the Corinthians were dealing with, which are issues that you and I deal with as well. This morning, we'll look at the first issue, and then the following weeks, we'll look at the other issues as well, but not just the issue, but more importantly, the solution. Here's the problem, here's a solution to how to fix it. Uh, And so we'll be looking at both of those with this first issue this morning. Verse 11, let's see what this problem was. For it's been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Paul starts off saying, "There's those in Chloe's household, they're, they're telling me about a contention that's going on there in Corinth. Now, we don't know really much of anything about the people from Chloe's household. We don't know their names. We just know it's Chloe's household, so there are people there. But they went and they told Paul about some contentious problems that were happening in the church there in Corinth. And so Paul is dealing with the concerns that have been brought to him. And so... The word, the Greek word translated contentions means strife, quarrels, rivalries, and contentions. So one of the things that caused division there in the church in Corinth was the fact that there was this contention that got brought up there. The believers were dividing because of strife and quarrels and rivalry. And these rivalries really came together because of four different groups that the believers in Corinth put themselves in. Uh, And because these different groups were against other groups, they, they divided from one another. First, there was the Paul group, which declared, we are of Paul, meaning we're followers of Paul. Now, remember, Paul's the one that started the church there in Corinth. He was the first pastor of that church. He pastored it for a year and a half. I'm sure that some of the people, maybe most of the people who were of the Paul group, you know, they were the original members of that church. Hey, Paul was our pastor, and, you know, we follow Paul. And, you know, they had this kind of connection with Paul, and they elevated him to a place that he didn't belong. Uh, and so, you know, the first group says, yeah, we are of... Paul, ultimately declaring we're the spiritual ones. We're the ones right with God. Why? Because we follow Paul. The second group was the Apollos group, which declared we are of Apollos. In Acts chapter 18, we're told about this man named Apollos, and we're given some interesting uh, information about him. It told, we're told he was eloquent, mighty in scriptures, fervent in spirit. He taught and spoke accurately the things of God. So Apollos is this passionate, this eloquent communicator of God's word. And Acts chapter 19 seems to uh, give us good reason to believe that he's the one who took over the church in Corinth after Paul left it after pastoring it for a year and a half. And so now you have Apollos this eloquent communicator of God's word, he's now taking over. And I can imagine there's people who got saved under Apollos' ministry and got discipled under Apollos. And, you know, well, you know, Paul was the founder who, who started the church, but, yeah, you know, we came in when Apollos was the pastor, and so we follow him. We're connected to him. And so, you know, we are of Apollos. Once again saying, well, we're the more spiritual group. We're the ones truly godly. Why? Because we follow Apollos. The third group was the... Cephas group, which declared we are of Cephas. Now you might be wondering who in the world was Cephas. If you remember in the Gospels, Peter's name originally from his parents was Simon, but Jesus changed his name to the rock. That's what he called him, the rock. So he was the original rock. Dwayne Johnson is just a (laughs) counterfeit. But Petros is the Greek word for rock, and we get the English word Peter. So Peter is The Greek translation, ultimately, of this word that Jesus gave, or this name that Jesus gave to Peter. Now, Cephas is the Aramaic word for the rock. So back in the time of the Jews, they they spoke Hebrew, they spoke Aramaic. And it's interesting that this group doesn't say, we are of Peter which is, you know, the, the Greek name that so many would have been, especially in Corinth, familiar with. No, no, we're of Cephas, you know, the Aramaic name. It's very likely that this group was Jewish, you know, or at least predominantly Jewish. And, you know, and there in Corinth, there wouldn't have been that many. So it's likely this kind of, we associate ourselves with Peter, and we're Jewish, and we kind of have our group, and, you know, we're the true spiritual ones. We're the ones really godly because we follow Cephas. Fourth, there was the Jesus group which declared, we're of Christ. Now, every believer should associate themselves with Jesus, but the way that Paul writes this, it seems that this group was being divisive, even in their statement of, well, we follow Jesus, and we're so much better than you. Uh, and so it was kind of written in more of a negative sense. Just because you use the name Jesus or Christ to describe your group doesn't make it better or more spiritual than other groups. You know, years ago, my brother got connected with the Church of Christ, and he tried to convince me that they were more biblical and true because they were the Church of Christ. I mean, look at our name. Obviously, we're the Church of Christ, and you're not. Uh, and so I was kind of like, you know, just because you give yourself the name the Church of Christ doesn't make you more biblical and true. What you believe and how you practice those beliefs is what makes you biblical and true. And there's a belief about baptism that's pretty unbiblical that the Church of Christ holds to. So it was kind of a, a humorous thing. But just because you... Take the name and add it to your group doesn't make it all of a sudden, now I'm more spiritual than you and I'm better than you, It seems like this group was doing. So now we have the fourth group, the Jesus group. We're of Christ and surely we're the most spiritual because of it. Now, something important to note is these Corinthian believers weren't just boasting in how great Paul was or how great, you know, Apollos or Cephas or Jesus was. They were also boasting about how that great they were for following that person. And I want you to note that they're not just exalting the person they followed as being better than these other people. They're exalting themselves as a group that we are better because we follow this person and your group is worse because you follow that person. So one of the reasons these Corinthian believers had divisions with each other is because of this contention, this rivalry that came up because they have these four different groups that come from these four different people that they've elevated and are following. We have the only right leader, and we're going to divide from you because you follow someone else. We're right, you're wrong. We follow the right person, you follow the wrong person. Now, sadly, this is something very common within the church world today. If you've been a believer in a church for any given a time, what I'm talking about right now isn't new to you. You recognize it. You've seen it. Christians have a tendency to exalt people to a place they do not belong. Pastors and people in ministry are oftentimes put on a pedestal that they shouldn't be. There's only one person who should be exalted, One person that should be put on a pedestal. One person that should be worshipped. And that is Jesus and Him alone. It's been said, don't put your pastor on a pedestal where he can be knocked off. Instead, put him on your prayer list where he can be lifted up. I don't want to be exalted. I don't want to be put on a pedestal. But I definitely want to be prayed for. That's what pastors need. You know, I think sadly there are many pastors in ministry that do not feel like I do. They exalt themselves. They put themselves on a pedestal. They want to be, you know, in that position of, look at how great I am. And if you see someone like that, they're exalting themselves, they're elevating themselves, they're lifting themselves up. That should be a red flag that you want to steer clear of them. You want to steer clear of that ministry. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You want people who humble themselves. You want people who are elevating, exalting Jesus not their own lives. Now, because of this tendency of people to uh, exalt others and for people to exalt themselves, there are a lot of Christians who put individuals in a place that only Jesus belongs. The place individuals in such high esteem that they're more focused on the person than they are following Jesus. And because these individuals have been given a place of great importance, they start following the person. And then they try to convince other people to follow them as well. Oh, this is the great person to follow and do that. And if you don't do that, well, I'm going to divide from you because you're not following this great person that you should be like I am. And it brings this divisive reality to it. Now, let me say it's okay and it's normal to have your favorite Bible teacher, uh, have your favorite person in ministry. The problem comes when you put those people in a place that they don't belong. When those people become the only person that you can receive from. When your feelings for those people cause you to be divisive with others who don't share your same passion or your same thoughts towards that individual. When you give that person a place in your life that only Jesus should have. You know, I first really experienced this in a very clear way when I attended Calvary Chapel's Bible College uh, in California. The founder of Calvary Chapel Movement, as many of you know, the president of the Bible College was Pastor Chuck Smith, who passed away just a while ago. But uh, I was there at the Bible College, and I would definitely say there was a group that you could call the Chuck Group. You know, we are of Chuck. Chuck said it, we believe it, it must be true. That was kind of their their mindset. And I remember listening to Pastor Chuck do a teaching, which he did many when we were there, and there was something that he said that I was like, you know, I'm not sure I really believe that what he took from that verse is what it was saying. And so afterwards, there's a group of students, and I just wanted to get some dialogue, and I had the audacity to just say, you know what, I don't really agree with what Chuck said here. And I got these, like, death looks, and like, how dare you? disagree with pastor chuck who do you think you are and i'm thinking is pastor chuck infallible you know i mean are we not allowed to challenge what he says but it was just you know we're not going to be around you i mean you shouldn't even be at this school it was just like if you don't have this mindset towards him then we are going to divide from you and sadly we see this within the church world today There are a lot of divisions in different churches because people are exalting men to a place they don't belong. And because of that, there are many different divided groups in the body of Christ based on who they follow. We are of John Calvin. You don't follow him, we're going to divide ourselves from you. We are of Chuck Smith. You don't follow him, we're going to divide ourselves from you. We are of Charles Wesley. If you don't follow him... We're going to divide ourselves from you. We are of John MacArthur. We are of Matt Chandler. You can take all the big names of people out there, and there's a reality that you're going to have a group that feels that way. This is a person you should follow, and if you don't follow him, then we are not going to be connected with you. So a lot of people will divide into different groups based on who they exalt and who they follow, and they often think they're more spiritual because of it oh, we're more spiritual because of following this person, or we're more spiritual because we're part of this group and you're not. And that's the mindset. I've never met someone who says, oh, I follow this person and I'm less spiritual. They always think I'm more spiritual because of it. But notice what Paul says as he jumps, I'm going to jump up to chapter 3 just for a moment, and verses 3 through 4, he says, For where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulus, are you not carnal? Paul is clearly saying this behavior of exalting men and dividing because of it, it does not make you more spiritual, it makes you more carnal. This is a carnal behavior. This is sinful behavior. But the mindset is, well, because I follow this person, I'm going to divide myself from you because I'm so much more spiritual. Well, in your division, you've shown how that you're not spiritual, that you're not spiritually mature because that is something that is uh, counterproductive and it's not something that God's word teaches. And so we need to recognize this is not something that makes us more spiritually mature. It makes us less spiritually mature. G. Campbell Morgan, a great pastor and commentator, said, I have noted that the more spiritual a man becomes, the less denominational he becomes. Some people like to follow and elevate a particular man like Charles Wesley, where others will just say, you know what, I'm just going to elevate and follow the denomination that he started, the Methodist denomination. Now, I want you to notice how a lot of Christians describe their Christianity. Instead of saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a child of God, you'll come and they'll say, I'm a Baptist. I'm a Methodist. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a Nazarene. I'm non-denominational. That, that's kind of how they describe themselves. But we need to understand that every believer in Jesus is first and foremost a child of God. First and foremost a follower of Christ. Now as a child of God and a follower of Christ, you might prefer uh, this church. You might prefer the Baptist. You might prefer the Methodist. But that is not who you are. That's just the church and the denomination preference that you have. Who you are as a believer in Jesus, a follower of Christ, a child of God. And because you're a believer in Jesus, guess what? You're part of the body of Christ. And you know who else is a part of the body of Christ? Every other believer in Jesus in the different denominations that you divide yourself from, in the different groups that you don't want to be a part of. We're all part of the body of Christ. It includes everyone. You know, I think something that we should remember is the future, which is heaven. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the lamb. You know, when we get to heaven, there's going to be Christians from every nation. There's going to be Christians from every tribe, from every tongue, from every denomination. And our focus in heaven is not going to be on the denomination that we had preference to or attended here on this earth. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be groups broken up into denominations, all right? You Baptists, you're going to be over there, and you're going to spend eternity together in that group. And, and you Methodist, you're going to be over here, and you're going to spend eternity here. And you guys who went to Calvary Chapel, you can be here and spend any time. And you're just going to be separated for eternity in your little denominational groups. That's not how heaven's going to be. As believers, we're all going to be joined together. And guess what? The focus isn't going to be that. The focus is going to be Jesus. He's going to be the focus, worshiping Him, focusing on Him, and that needs to be something that we realize, because if that is our eternity, if that is what we're going to when we get to heaven, I think a good mindset would be, why don't here on this earth we make Jesus the focus? Why don't here on this earth He's the one that we're truly living for and following and not getting sidetracked with so many things that we can just say, you know what, I prefer this, and we can agree to disagree on these issues that aren't major doctrinal issues that change what the Bible says, and just move on. Instead of getting so divided because of it, let's just keep our focus on Jesus Christ because he's the only person we should be exalting. He's the only person we should be following. And when we don't, we're going to have the same problems that the Corinthians did. There will be divisions. Well, now Paul's going to address this problem of exalting people to a place they don't belong by asking three important questions that would really bring the, the Corinthian believers and us to an understanding of the foolishness of exalting any man. Verse 13 says this, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? With these three questions, Paul wants to bring their focus back to Jesus, wants to help them see you've lost your focus and place it on man, and it should have always stayed on Christ. Notice the first question. Is Christ divided? The obvious answer is no, he's not divided. Is Christ for only one group of Christians and not for another? No, he's for every person who believes in him. He's not divided. So Paul's basically saying, okay, well, well why are you doing this? You know, there was an old contentious Christian who went from one church to another, never finding the true church. And someone once said, well, well, what church are you in now? He said, well, I'm finally in the true church. And they said, oh, great. Well, well who attends it? And he said, well, it's just me and my wife, and I'm not so sure about her sometimes. And that's kind of the problem. If you're going to church to church to church and and you're always dividing yourself, guess what? The problem's with you. Uh, And you need to recognize there's an issue there. Christ is not divided. So with Paul's question, he's saying, if Christ isn't divided, why are you believers who are part of the body of Christ dividing yourself? Paul's second question, which I think is the most thought-provoking of all, was Paul crucified for you? The answer is obviously no. Jesus was crucified for you. It was Jesus who gave his life to die on the cross for our sins. It was Jesus who changed our life. It was Jesus who made the way to God. It was Jesus who made you what you are today. It wasn't Paul. It wasn't Apollos. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't any person. It was Jesus himself that did that for us. With this question, Paul wants us to see the absurdity of trying to exalt him or any other person because he's not the son of God. He's not the one who sacrifices life. He's not the one who's done these things. Once again, there is only one person who we should be following and exalting, and that is Jesus. You see, the problem these Corinthian believers had, they lost focus on Jesus. And they lost focus more specifically on the cross. Not only Jesus and who he is, but Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And once they lost that focus on Jesus, they started putting that focus on men. You know, once you take your eyes off Jesus and the work that he did on the cross, the result of that is you're going to put your focus somewhere. And oftentimes that focus goes to people and we elevate people to a place They don't belong, and the result is divisions are going to happen. Something so important for us to understand is what Jesus did for us on the cross, that is the thing that brought us together. I want you to think about something. Before we were believers, guess what? We were all in the same group. Oh, no, we weren't. We had all these different group cliques, and we had you know the jocks, and we had this. No, no, no. We were all in the same group. We were all sinners who were lost and bound for hell. We were all in the same group. Once we got saved and accepted Jesus, we're all in the same group as again. We were once sinners who have now been forgiven of our sins and are all children of God because of what Jesus Christ has done. He's the one who takes all of us from this group and brings us to this group. He's the reason that we have unity. He's the reason that we can be joined together because of his forgiveness and what he's done and all that we're given because of it. He's the one who forgave us our sins. He's the one who's made us children of God. It's because of him the Spirit of God dwells within each one of us. He's the reason that we're having an inheritance, that we're spending eternity with God in heaven. Our unity, our connection together with one another is because of what Jesus did on the cross. When we lose sight of that, we lose sight of what unifies us together, the natural consequence is divisions will happen. Paul's third question is, were you baptized in the name of Paul? The answer is no. They were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul is continuing to make his point about the foolishness of exalting people to a place that only Jesus belongs. When you're baptized, you're not baptized into the name of the person who baptized you. You're baptized into the name of God. And Paul takes this question, were you baptized in the name of Paul? He expounds upon it even more in verses 14 through 17. He says this, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I have baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Notice what Paul says. He says, "I'm thankful I only baptize a few of you so you can't say I baptized you in the name of Paul." It seems this group there in Corinth, probably the the Paul group, that they made a big deal of, "Hey, guess what? We were baptized by Paul. You weren't." I was. I'm much more spiritual than you because Paul himself, the great apostle, you know, the guy who started this church, he baptized me. And so there was this, you know, this division that came from this belief that, oh, look at how great I am because of the one who baptized me. You know, it doesn't matter who baptized you. It matters who you were baptized into. The focus shouldn't be who baptized me. The focus should be on the reason why I'm getting baptized because of what Christ has done for my life and has changed me. And I want to outwardly demonstrate what he's done inwardly in my life. It shouldn't be on, well, I'm so-and-so baptized me. And so I'm so spiritual. No, it's because of what Jesus did. Now, because this was becoming a divisive issue, Paul's grateful. He didn't baptize that many people there in Corinth. He also says Christ did not send him to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, this is one of those verses in the Bible which reveal to us that baptism is not essential for salvation. If baptism were essential for salvation, Paul could never thank God that he baptized so few people in Corinth. It'd be like him saying, I'm so thankful so few of you accepted the gospel and didn't get saved. I mean, that's not his heart. Obviously, he was an evangelist. You can never say as an evangelist, you know, this reality, because as an evangelist, if he knew baptism was essential, then he'd be like, I would preach the gospel and baptize all of you because I want you to be saved. Now, just because baptism is not essential for salvation doesn't mean it's not important. The Bible commands every believer to be baptized. We should do it in obedience to Christ. And so if you have accepted Christ and you've never been baptized, come speak with me. Uh, we'd lo- I'd love to explain what that is to you. Uh, we have a tank. We'll bring it here. Uh, we'll do a baptism service uh, and we'll you know baptize you. We'd love to do that. So if you haven't done it, uh, speak with me. We'll arrange that. So the first thing that was causing division in Corinth was that they were following men instead of following Christ. They were exalting men to a place that only... Christ belongs. And the reason was this was because they were focusing on and following the wrong person. They lost sight of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. So the first issue that Paul deals with is the first lesson we learn for how to avoid division is keep your focus on who Jesus is and what he's done and only exalt him. When we keep our focus on Jesus, we keep our focus on the cross we don't exalt people. That's what's going to help us to not avoid divisions in this particular area with this particular issue. There's other issues that we'll get to, but here, don't exalt people. Make sure it's Jesus. Make sure you're focused on him. Make sure he's the one that's the priority of your life, and it will help you to avoid divisions. And guess what? If divisions are coming in relationship you have, I would ask the question, you know what? Are you focused on Christ? That might be the first step as you try to join back together. Maybe the problem that I have is I've lost focus on Jesus. I've taken focus off him. Maybe I put focus on a man or something else or myself. And I would say, you know, as you seek to join together after division has happened, one of the first steps is asking that question, you know, is my focus lost? Is it still on Jesus? Is he still the priority? Is he still the one that I I have my eyes on? And if you've taken your eyes off him, the first step would be put it back because you're not going to be able to uh, fix that division until it's back. Start with that. Start with Jesus and let the other things come together.